since Trump's disastrous, uh, it's not leading us down the road of war. What he just did was declare war. We just launched a war against Iran. Can you imagine if Iran assassinated Nancy Pelosi or the you know chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff? We would be at war. So Trump, what he did, him and his warmongers, are they they have declared war on Iran, and since that, less than twenty four hours later, uh, we are now sending thirty five hundred additional troops to the Middle East. President Donald Trump is sending 3,500 more troops to the Middle East, according to multiple reports. This news reports earlier this week, citing unnamed defense sources, said a deployment of roughly 4,000 was being readied. So 3,500. This is on top. I said it at the beginning of this. This is on top of the 2,500 he sent last year. He sent 1,500 in May and 1,000 in June. It barely got any media attention. So 3,500 troops on top of 1,500. So he's already sent nearly 5,000 troops. How is that for let's get let's stop the never-ending wars, this candidate said. I was there. I covered him in Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Ohio. His, his voters ate it up. They ate up the isolationist message. They like the never end, stopping the never-ending wars. They like, uh, st- you know, why are we involved in spending all this money when my roads are falling apart, when I can't afford to send my kids to college? Part It's partly, the media makes it seem like it's something else. It's part of the reason that, yes, there are some Trump supporters that like Tulsi Gabbard because of that message which Trump fed them. So on top of being a phony populist economically, he was a phony uh, isolationist. He was a phony uh, America first. He's not America first. He's the captain of the military industrial complex, clearly. Ryan, thank you, 499 in the super chat. Bernie crushed it in the quarter, uh, fourth quarter fundraising. Feel the burn. Bernie would end these escalations in the Middle East. I'm going to get to Bernie's fundraising too. I wanted to start with this, obviously. But thank you for the super chat. So, Ayatollah Khomeini, uh, in response, says, about uh, Soleimani's death, a harsh retaliation is waiting for America. A harsh retaliation. His departure to God does not end his path or his mission, uh, Khomeini said about Soleimani, but a forceful revenge awaits the criminals who have his blood and the blood of the martyrs last night on their hands. So, yeah, Uh, all the warmongers are at it again today. They're all on cable news saying this was warranted. There's intelligence that Iran was about to strike. There was specific intelligence about a specific attack. CNN, MSNBC, the New York Times, the Washington Post. Uh, Can you provide that intelligence? Uh, We'll give it to you when we start the next war. How about that? There was intelligence of an imminent attack that saw Lamani was orchestrating. Can you can you tell us? Give us the evidence? Maybe the next time we'll give you the evidence. Let's listen to Mike Pompeo's absurd statements. He was driving bad outcomes for the Iraqi people. He was causing many Muslims in the region to be killed. I saw last night there was dancing in the streets in parts of Iraq. We we have every expectation that people not only in Iraq but in Iran 
will view the American action、mm. last night as giving them freedom. Freedom well, to have the opportunity for success and prosperity for their nations, and while the political leadership may not want that, the people in these nations will demand it. We'll, we'll Dancing in the streets, the people will want it. You know, if you turn around, it sounds like Dick Cheney. They'll greet us as liberators. I mean, this is this is not even like this is not even a, this is a mirror clone to Iraq. This is a mirror clone. To Iraq, so you got Mike Pompeo trying out his best Dick Cheney there. Then you have.、Uh, I thought this this gave me a real tickle. Let's listen to this、uh, CNN contributor,、uh, a defense, a defense,、uh, a James. What what do they call him? James Spider Marks, a long time, a long time warmongering、uh, commander there. Let's let's hear what he had to say, in response to Senator Chris Murphy, you know, complaining about that minor little thing about you know, not following the Constitution, the president declaring wars without congressional approval, that little thing. Let's hear what he has to say. Officials in France say that today we we wake up to a more dangerous world.、Uh, Democratic Senator Chris Murphy asked the question:、uh, Did America just assassinate without congressional authorization the second most powerful person in Iran? Knowingly setting off a potential potential massive regional war, so is America safer without Soleimani this morning, or a more dangerous world because of his assassination in this way? Well, first of all, let me let me congratulate Jim in terms of how he laid out very agnostically, <clears throat> excuse me, the concern that we should have vis-a-vis what just occurred. It really is about our capabilities, and it's about Iran's capabilities. What I would say to Senator Murphy is. Why don't you just be quiet? <laughs> Look, the, when has Iran ever demonstrated self-restraint? I mean, that's the question I have.、Mm. So, is the world more dangerous today? M- maybe it's more dangerous, but when has it not been dangerous? When have we not been a target of a regime like exists in Tehran? I mean, it happens as a matter of routine. What I find amazingly brazen is the fact that Soleimani felt comfortable. And he felt somewhat naive that he could simply show up in Baghdad, and in his role as the leader of the IRGC and the Quds Force, he shows up and he says, "Hey guys, how's it going? How's this attack on the U.S. embassy going?" So here you have、um, a warmonger,、uh, James Spider Marks—that's what they call him—telling、um, a United States senator, Chris Murphy, who came out saying,、uh, "Congress." Has to authorize the president assassinating the equivalent Iran's equivalent of the Secretary of State. Trump just illegally, just like Obama illegally went to Syria, just like Bush illegally declared wars. Congress has to do that. You have a warmonger on CNN, unchallenged, completely unchallenged,、uh, saying, "Pipe down." You elected U.S. senator. Just so happens, I mean, wasn't hard to find. This James Spider Marks that CNN has on to push war with Iran. Oh, he was just the top advisor. Just the top advisor for Tiger Swan. Tiger Swan, the Blackwater S group that terrorized Native Americans at Standing Rock, that surveilled Native Americans and environmental activists. At Standing Rock, that unleashed dogs 
on Native Americans at Standing Rock? That tiger swan. Top advisor to Tiger Swan, private security firm for big oil. He also, back in the 90s, headed up intelligence efforts for the Test Force, which brought over 10,000 U.S. military troops to 1992 to beat the living hell out of black people after the, during the Rodney King riots. So that's exactly who I want on, on television to talk about the morality of what's going on. Uh, the advisor to the company that to the private security company that unleashes dogs on human beings and protesters that surveils Native Americans and environmental activists and that uh, brought in the military occupying police force to beat the living hell out of black people uh, during the Rodney King riots. The New York Times gives a column to a senior Bush administration official who pushed us into Iraq less than 24 hours. Let's get the Bushies to push us into Iran. They didn't do enough to push us into Iraq. This is Michael Duran, who is a senior advisor for the Bush administration, who wrote such gems back in the day. Following the invasion, Duran argued against international inspectors returning to Iraq to investigate once and for all the veracity of WMD allegations. His reasoning, facts and war crimes don't matter because haters going to hate regardless. Quote, the many skeptics of U.S. motives fall into two camps, conspiracy theorists and sophisticated opponents of the war, he said in May 2003. No amount of rational argument will persuade the former who will react to any evidence of WMD with the claim that Washington planted it. After all, don't American forces today exercise unfettered control of the crime scene? For their part, the sophisticated anti-war forces never disputed the existence of WMD. What's ironic about that is Washington did plant the evidence. There was no evidence. They just planted imaginary evidence. This was the guy helping them plant it. Duran concluded, quote, The first order of business for the United States must therefore be to demonstrate forcefully that challenges to its authority in the region will be defeated. Adding that thwarting Saddam's ambitions and continuing to root out bin Laden's henchmen and associates, moreover, will do more than take care of immediate menaces. It will also serve to sober up onlookers with oppositionist ambitions of their own, making them recalculate the odds of defying a power that has demonstrated its intention to remain a permanent and dynamic regional player. What the Bush This is what he wrote. What the Bush administration seems to understand better than its critics is that the influence of the United States in the Arab-Israeli arena derives to no small extent from its status as the dominant power in this region as a whole. And this status, in turn, hinges on maintaining an unassailable American predominance in the Persian Gulf. Defeating Saddam would offer the United States a golden opportunity to show the Arab and Muslim worlds that Arab aspirations are best achieved by working in cooperation with Washington. And if American road to a calmer situation in Palestine does in fact exist, it runs through Baghdad. Yeah, this is the guy the New York Times turns to immediately to help push war with Iran. At what point, at what point do we start to acknowledge the journalists as, com- as com- just as complicit as the politicians making these decisions? Because at this point, 
We cannot imagine at an outlet like the New York Times that you could have editors this ignorant, this stupid, where these are simple mistakes they're making. They are consciously putting right away in the most prominent placement a New York Times opinion column seen all around the world has the ability to shape opinions right away on what the United States just did. They're consciously putting disgraced officials from the Bush administration who are responsible for the deaths of hundreds of thousands of people all around the world, mostly Muslims. That is who the New York Times and CNN and MSNBC, by the way, are putting forth. Not Medea Benjamin of Code Pink. Not anti-war voices. And I want to point out, uh, there's obviously been a ton of tweets, but I want to point out a few that stood out to me. This is from Rania Kalik, an independent journalist. Uh, She does some stuff for the Gray Zone and elsewhere. Number one bad guy, according to America. There are millions of people in Iraq, Iran, Lebanon, Syria who see him as a hero. He was crucial to preventing ISIS and Al-Qaeda from taking over the region, while U.S. policy helped those groups. U.S. policy from idiots like the guy who wrote that New York Times story I just read is what created ISIS in the first place. This black-white narrative is propagandistic, Rania wrote. If you think that's wrong and evil, fine. But stop making it sound like he bombed American cities. The reality he the reality is he trained people who were fighting the American bombing of Iraqi cities. So stop leaving that out. I couldn't say it better myself. And, you know, the oligarchy, maybe YouTube, which likes to censor anti-war voices. I'm sure this live stream has already been demonetized. will say, well, that's anti-American and it's anti-American. He was responsible for killing uh, t- uh, however many Americans, and that might be true. But who has been the who has been more on the offense, Iraq, America, or Iran in the past two decades? Last time I checked, it was America who engineered a coup d'état of Iran's democratically elected leader uh, Mossadegh in the 1950s. Why? Because he would not give us the oil, just like Maduro would not give up the oil. He wanted to nationalize, further nationalize Iran's oil, their oil. So we just overthrew overthrew it, overthrew that leader, which then led to unprecedented instability. Obviously, the Iranian revolution in, I believe, 1979. And then hundreds of millions of dollars of propaganda fed to you by the corporate media, And politicians in Washington, Democrats and Republicans, by the way. I'm not saying Iran is, you know, the leaders of Iran are just dandy and peaceful. I'm not saying they are not responsible for some terrorist actions. Then it's not all rainbows and sunshine. Iran is not completely innocent. But if you want to talk about who has been the aggressor, Iran has not bombed American cities, just like uh, Saddam Hussein did not bomb or take out the World Trade Center. They have not provided any, any evidence that Iran was behind the embassy attack in Iraq. But you don't need evidence because the corporate media is just a stenographer 
for these politicians. They just feed to you what you want to hear, that what the politicians tell them to say. And they are now just saying, well, the Trump administration and Mike Pompeo says there was, you know, actionable evidence, actionable evidence of an imminent attack on a precise location that Soleimani, Soleimani was responsible for. Yeah, let us see it. But they never let us see it. Just like more and more whistleblowers are coming out now saying, oh, this report about a chemical gas attack in Syria in Doma in 2018, there's no evidence for that either. Scientists and technical experts are, have come out and said there's no evidence of enhanced uh, chemical levels uh, in the buildings that they said Assad's people released the gas. OPCW whistleblowers that work at the OPCW are coming out saying reports were changed, information was suppressed or, or forced out. I also want to show you uh, Jeremy Scahill, I think, had a great thread, of course, of The Intercept. He did a great, um, great movie, um, Dirty Wars, I think it was called, about secret U.S. Uh, under, you know, undercover and basically contract killers that the U.S. sends uh, in addition to its military to go out and basically terrorize Middle Eastern countries. This is from Jeremy. Much like the neocons came to power in 2001 with a predetermined agenda for regime change in Iraq, the Trump administration had Iran in the sniper scope from the jump. This was at the center of the collusion scandal, largely ignored by U.S. media with Israel and Saudi Arabia. A major part of the motive for the scorched earth genocidal bombing of Yemen was to draw Iran into military conflict. Obama started it and Trump colluded with the Saudis, UAE and Israel to escalate it. Obama was played by Saudi Arabia, but Trump outsourced U.S. policy to Israel. The assassination of Soleimani is one of a small handful of actions the U.S. could have taken that would almost guarantee war. This is a nuclear option advocated by the most dangerous and extreme players in the U.S. foreign policy establishment with the exact intent. The U.S. Congress has intentionally never legislated the issue of assassination. Instead, the policy has been to ban assassination through executive orders. This has allowed all U.S. presidents to assassinate people with impunity. Congress has always declined to address it. There's no justification for assassinating foreign officials, including Soleimani. This is an aggressive act of war, an offensive act committed by the U.S. on the sovereign territory of a third country, consistent with more than half a century of U.S. aggression versus Iran and Iraq. U.S. politicians who begin their statements justifying the death of Soleimani are by default supporting a catastrophic and illegal drive to war. And the people who will pay the price will overwhelmingly be Iranian and Iraqi civilians. Sidebar. Since 2010, Blackwater founder Eric Prince has been pitching a plan for mercenaries to be used in a war against Iran. This White House actually listens to that maniac and his pitches. While warning us that Trump is the gravest threat in U.S. history, many leading Democrats have voted to give Trump unprecedented military budgets and sweeping surveillance powers. Here is an in-depth background segment we recently did on the on, on Intercepted, their podcast, on the history of U.S. aggression against Iran. What's incredible. And, and 
just just for the hell of it, let's just play one of those politicians starting as Jeremy Scahill pointed out with the default, well, he was a bad guy. There is no question, Jim, that Soleimani was a vicious terrorist whose death I and no one should mourn. But this is an administration, Donald Trump, really with his, with his national security policy, appears to shoot first and then possibly the vital questions that lead up to action are asked later. Uh, that is uh, a foreign policy and a national security policy run amok. He pulled out of Syria without much of his national security leadership even knowing he was going to do that. Now he's assassinated, uh, argue, uh, clearly a, a vicious killer who, uh, who, who certainly killed and, and, and engaged and led terrorist acts by the terrorist regime of Iran. But we have to make sure that our laws are followed. Yes, Debbie Wasserman Schultz is the first person I would like to hear from on laws being followed in a democracy. The person who rigged an entire election against Bernie Sanders. A person who has been pushing for basically us to overthrow a democratically elected leader in Venezuela. Listen, is is Soleimani a good guy? No, but if the new definition is to take out is to take out brutal dictators, is to take out, uh, you know, terrible dictators around the world, then what are we doing? Why haven't we taken out Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, who, in addition to a culture in Syria which violates its women, in addition to that, is committing genocide in Yemen that we are supporting. If the standard is, well, you know, bin Salman is a, a, a dictator, brutal, has been responsible for the deaths of of tens of thousands of innocents, we need to then drone the the palace in Saudi Arabia. But what's the difference here? Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabia is good for our business interests. Saudi Arabia helps the money keep flowing, baby. Saudi Arabia is helping, by the way, our energy independence, our fossil fuel companies. While Iran, they're not playing, they're not play, they've never played ball. That's why they want regime change. Trump came out with a statement today. Uh, we're not doing this for regime chase. We're not doing this for regime change. Oh, yeah. What are you doing it for? Because Trump and Mike Pompeo and when he was there, John Bolton, are so interested and so worried about the people of Iran's safety and freedom. It's the same, you know, humanitarian concern we had when we toppled a dictator in the 1950s, Mossadegh. Look it up. It's the same generosity and humanity, humanitarian spirit we have to free the people of Venezuela from Maduro's dictating terrible grasp. Oh, by the way, our sanctions have killed 40,000 people in Venezuela. But we're so worried. What happened to we can't unilaterally disarm? Uh, I'm going to show you a clip from when I interviewed Barney Frank back in the day at the Young Turks. It was my first day on the job at the Young Turks. I don't think I challenged him enough, but, you know, I was just learning where the bathroom was, so forgive me. Listen to what Barney Frank said back then in 2000. This was in 2015 about money and politics. No, I get big donations from banks. Uh, I don't believe that people on the left should engage in unilateral disarmament. Is it really your goal to have us all lose? Because I wish they weren't giving banks, but here's... Here's my concern with that viewpoint. Judged by the results, what 
impact have those the donations have that people can point to? But yeah, I, not only did I take a lot of donations from financial institutions, I was chairman of the committee while I was passing the Volcker Rule and Consumer Bureau, but I try to get them to give to other Democrats. I think it, do, do, you, do you think it would really be better for liberals, regulators, if all the money from the banks went to Republicans as opposed to just 80%? Because we could accomplish that. We could refuse to accept any. And I, I, I again have to tell you, I've accepted money from financial institutions. Some of them gave me once, didn't give me again. Obama, by the way, in 2008, no Democrat ever got as much as he did from the financial institutions. They gave him once, then they stopped giving. So, we can't unilaterally disarm. Can't unilaterally disarm. Well, Bernie Sanders has unilaterally disarmed when it comes to huge, huge money. And he just raised $34 million. $34 million in three months. 300,000 new donors. You know, the corporate media, they've been saying uh, their main knock against Bernie. Well, he all, you know, yeah, he's great at his base and he has a loyal following among his base, but he can't expand that base. Well, what would you call 300,000 new donors? 300,000 new donors Bernie Sanders got. And by the way, I think it's not being said enough. When they, when they say Biden raised $22 million, when they say Buttigieg raised $24 million, they're not taking into account most of the money, most of the money they're raising is big dollars. Look at this. Biden. They distinguish, they say, well, online, the average donation for Joe Biden is $23, but the overall contribution is $41. Well, does the campaign say what was the breakdown? How many donations came online? So how much small dollar support are you getting? Because online is generally smaller dollars. No, they don't. They don't tell you how many online donations he got. They just say the average online contribution was $23 and the overall contribution is $41. Well, I don't know how many of those donations are maxed out donations. We don't know. How many of those donations came from the financial industry? We don't know yet. $41 average donation. I wouldn't classify that as small dollar. Most people don't have 40 bucks a pop. I mean, it's not huge, huge, huge. But it's certainly larger. You know, Bernie in 2016 was $27. In the last quarter, it's still $18. $18. So it's a little interesting math, Joe Biden's campaign. Pete Buttigieg, $24 million. Same thing. We have no idea how much of this is online, small dollar donations, versus money from wine caves. So... The fact that Bernie Sanders is raising $34 million from smaller dollars is, is apples and oranges compared to, on paper, big performance by Biden and Buttigieg. Warren raised uh, $21 million, I think. So, also, uh, Warren's was small dollar. I don't have the average donation in front of me. Uh, let me get it. $23. So, good numbers. You know, I'm not Elizabeth Warren's biggest fan, but... $22 million, 
Nothing to sneeze at. Oh, $21 million. Nothing to sneeze at. It's definitely down from her performance the quarter before, which I think was 20, $25 million. So it's down, but $21 million raised from twenty an average at $23 a time. That is small dollar, whether you like Warren or not. And what that shows you, particularly Bernie, let's look at this for a second. What that shows you, he's reached 5 million total donations. I believe he's close to 2 million people who have donated. So 5 million total donations from an average of two, from 2 million individual donors. No other campaign has passed 3 million total donations. Bernie has beat every other campaign by 2 million donations. This quarter, over 300,000 new donors. That's new people, a.k.a. expanding the base. So it's not just the money. It's what the money represents. It represents more actual support for Bernie than Biden. Biden might have more money coming in from wealthy people, but as far as I know, wealthy people are only able to vote once unless there's an underground voting system. There's a lot more working people than rich people in wine caves. So the fact that Bernie is raising $34 million right before Iowa, to me, also shows with that 300,000 number. Obviously, there's no way to prove it 100%. But with that 300,000 new donor mark, I would guess that a lot of their uh, canvassing and organizing to bring out new voters, to register new voters, first-time voters, I bet you a lot of those 300,000 are part of that category that's coming up for the first time to vote or just turned 18. Bernie is going hard after that vote in Iowa specifically, but also Nevada and New Hampshire. New voters, young voters. And because it's an average of $18, they could donate again and again and again. Biden and Pete, they've already gotten, a lot of their donors have already maxed out, can't donate again. Those donors could donate to the Democratic National Committee, which could funnel the money to a campaign if they win the nomination. But they can't can't donate during the campaign. They could donate to Biden's super PAC. He does have a super PAC, but they can't donate directly to him again. If Joe Biden raised $34 million, the media would be calling on all the other candidates to drop out and, and allow him to set up for his strongest, set up his war chest for a general election against Trump. But because it's Bernie, uh, they make it, it, in, in some headlines, Bernie's not even number one. It's just Biden rebounds. Bernie is ra- raising record numbers, 5 million total donations, fastest to 5 million total donations at this point in a primary ever. Most individual donors at this point in a primary ever. He barely gets that credit. Only now has the media. You saw at the end of 2019, the New York Times did a piece. Bernie might be hard to beat and, and points out things that independent media have been showing for months. And there are still the old guard, the Biden supporter, people I know in my life that are older and just want to close their eyes and look away from this, have a rationalization. Well, we might be raising all this money and have all these new donors or whatever, but he's not electable. He won't win in a general election based on what MSNBC and CNN tells them. Based on many people on MSNBC and CNN 
who are saying this, and in the pages of the New York Times or Washington Post, who have direct conflicts of interest. There are paid Democratic National Committee consultants, paid consultants who consult for the DNC on MSNBC airwaves and CNN's airwaves. There are lobbyists on both airwaves who would be harmed by Bernie Sanders as president that are putting out this ridiculous political analysis. Now, if you want to have an actual debate, who's more electable, Bernie or Biden, sure. But this narrative that he's not electable is based on nothing. It's based on propaganda. In fact, Bernie won the Michigan primary in 2016 on the Democratic primary. He won the Wisconsin primary. Came very close in Iowa. I think he won Iowa, but there was shenanigans. He almost won the Missouri primary. There is a lot to be argued for that Bernie is more electable. Biden is the same exact policies and politics as Hillary Clinton. Why is that electable? She just lost the election. 